0: Please stand as you are able for the reading of today's New Testament lesson from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the Word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon. Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated.
1: Well, thank you, David, for reading our lesson. Dominic, thank you for presiding and lifting us up in prayer. I apologize to all of you that Dominic doesn't have a little more enthusiasm, but he's doing the best that he can, and we're grateful to him. Uh, Dominic, to your family uh, and, and all of you, I'm so thrilled that you chose to be with us on this Labor Day holiday weekend. And to those of you Uh, who are with us online, we welcome you. What a privilege it is to share God's Word with you wherever you are in your homes, or if you're away from home and you're tuning in with us, whether that be on your computer or cell phone or wherever you are. It is a great joy to be connected and united with you in the Spirit of God today. Well, if you have been with us since the first part of August, you know that we're right in the thick of this series on the book of Acts, and we've been very careful to refer to the book of Acts not as the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which is the risen Christ within us, which is the third person of the Trinity, the counselor, the comforter that God has given to us as Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, the power of God is with us. And to date, as we've worked our way through Acts, we've talked about, first of all, the Spirit, which is the power to stick together as a body. And then Acts 2, the power of God that He gives us to articulate our faith, to bear witness to what we believe. And then in Acts 3 and 4, we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to bring healing and restoration particularly to those who are outsiders. And then last week, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is the power that enables us to endure opposition. I want to invite you to think for just a few minutes before we receive communion this morning about the power that the Spirit gives us in a changing landscape to be adaptive, to modify our lives in a way that can be useful to the Spirit, perhaps in ways that we never considered. It's interesting in the text, David, that you read for us this morning, Acts 6, that as the gospel movement is continuing to grow and flourish, there are now challenges that arise within the body that threaten the heart of the movement. And if the body, if the church, doesn't adapt itself to meet these needs, to meet these challenges, she's going to become stagnant in her witness. She's going to become lethargic and irrelevant in her mission. And isn't it true that the Holy Spirit is the adaptive power of God within us to meet the needs of a changing world? In 1977, there was a fledgling shoe company, a running shoe company, that ran an ad campaign with a very interesting slogan that said this, there is no finish line. Now, you know, in 1961, probably, this shoe company began, and still 16 years later, they were were trying to find their way in this particular industry. And they had this slogan, there is no finish line, which really meant, don't settle which really meant quality is a race with no end quality is a race that has no finish line Nike went on to say in the parenthetical parts of this ad campaign that beating the competition is relatively easy but beating yourself is a never-ending competition that demands discipline commitment and flexibility. I was having lunch with someone this week, and they shared a phrase I had not heard in a while, blessed are the flexible, for they will never be bent out of shape. Adaptivity. A friend of mine recently sent me an article by a man named Larry Robertson, who is the author of a new book that just came out in June called Rebel Leadership, subtitle, How to Thrive in Uncertain Times. In the book, Mr. Robertson says, and I quote, we are living in a new abnormal, one in which there seems to be no finish line. In such a landscape, adaptability is not something we must learn to do now and then. It is something we have to learn to do all the time. Now, I want to give you a brief definition of adaptability. A working definition adaptability is the quality of being able to adjust to new conditions it is the capacity to be modified for a new use or a new purpose I was talking with a colleague the other day Uh, he's been having trouble in his church he's the senior pastor of the church I won't call his name but I called him up and just to kind of share with him and I said David how are you getting along in your church and he said well Friend, I'll put it this way. If the 50s ever come back, our church will be ready. (laughs) Adaptability. Now to the text. Acts chapter 6 is an object lesson in adaptability. In fact, I think that we could say that the incarnation of God in Christ is an object lesson in adaptability. That God would come down in flesh, in human form, and become one of us to live in our culture. That's the ultimate divine act of adaptability. Now, as the church, which is a fledgling movement at this point in Acts 6, continues to increase in number and in spirit, they hit a glitch. They hit a hiccup, there's a problem. A complaint is filed with the apostles that threatens the very DNA of the church. And the complaint concerns the most vulnerable members of the flock, namely the widows. You remember James chapter 1, verse 27, how important that is? James 1, 27 says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is this, to look after the widow and the orphan in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There's a complaint. And the concern was not simply related to the numerical growth of the church, although that comes, there is conflict that comes with growth. But this is also the result of cultural diversity in Acts 6. Now, I want you to listen to the specific complaint. Verse 1. Now during those days when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists, and I'll explain that in a moment, complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Now let me give you a little context, just a little bit of history here. The gospel began as a Jewish renewal movement specifically and exclusively among Hebraic Jews. That is, Jews who were born and raised in Palestine. That is, Jews who spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. But as of Pentecost and after Pentecost, there were also a group, culturally speaking, Hellenists who were joining the fold. Who were the Hellenists? Greek Jews who were born and raised outside of Palestine, and their primary language was not Hebrew or Aramaic. It was Greek. Now, some of you who know history know that in 323 BCE, Alexander the Great and his successors introduced the Greek language in the lands that they conquered and ruled. And of course, I don't have to tell you, when you learn a new language, you also take on the culture represented by that language. In the first century, Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that there may have been as many as 480 synagogues in Jerusalem, and that those communities were distinguished by linguistics, by language, and culture. So, there were some synagogues that conducted their service in Greek. There were others in Hebrew, others in Aramaic, and now these cultural distinctions are popping up in the fellowship of the church, and they're beginning to threaten the unity of the body. The Greek widows are being overlooked and neglected. It appears as though the Hebrew widows are getting preferential treatment. Now, some of you know that we have a ministry, a marvelous ministry that began in this church not long ago called Fishes and Loaves. Have you heard of this? Where, where we've got folks, volunteers who are preparing food uh, for those who can't cook for themselves. And as of last week, I think it was number 500, we prepared our 500th meal. And so, this is what's happening in the early church. They're distributing food to those who need it, especially the most vulnerable, especially the widows, but the charge here is that there are some who are receiving preferential treatment. Now, implicitly, what that complaint means is discrimination. And the apostles know if this issue goes unaddressed, it's gonna sabotage the witness of the body. It's gonna shut it down. Incidentally, it was not uncommon in those days for Hebraic Jews, Hebrew-speaking Jews, to look down upon Grecian Jews because of their cultural upbringing. There were many who looked at the Greek-speaking Jews, that is the Hellenists, as those who were adulterating the Jewish faith. They're bringing too much of their culture into the synagogue. Well, some things never change. Groups, still today, that are different from each other can always find excuses for demeaning and depreciating each other, right? Years ago, Gordon Allport wrote a book called The Nature of Prejudice, in which he said, and I quote, overcategorization is maybe the most common trick of the human mind." where where we just over categorize someone with whom we differ. We still do it. We still do it today. All conservatives are exclusive and bigoted. All liberals are immoral and socialist. All southerners are ignorant. All Yankees are rude and arrogant. All rich folk are greedy. We still do it. All poor people are lazy. All white folks are racist, all blacks are hostile, all Asians are pushy, all Irish are tight-fisted, all English are uppity, all Italians are—well, never mind about that. And so on and on it goes, over-categorization, stereotyping, we're masters at it, pigeonholing, and it's offensive to God and it harms our witness, and it hinders the movement of the gospel. Especially when you remember what Paul said in Galatians 3, for those of us who have been baptized in Christ, there isn't any Jew or Greek. There isn't any Hebrew or Hellenist. There isn't any slave or free. There isn't even any male or female All of those distinctions are irrelevant when you've been baptized in the the name of Christ. I've never quite understood why sometimes even in the church we tend to underscore and emphasize the two-ness of humanity instead of the oneness of Jesus. There is a oneness in the Spirit of God that empowers us to adapt and modify our lives According to a shifting culture, there is another implicit issue in this complaint that I think warrants our attention. One more. It's not just a numbers problem. It's not just a cultural problem. I think it's an organizational problem. I think it's it's a leadership problem. Up to this point in the book of Acts, the apostles, listen, they've been doing all the ministry. And Luke, who, like a preacher, is always taking attendance, says that the disciples now are numbering about 5,000 plus, but you've got 12 people doing all the work, the apostles. And as the flock grows and diversity happens, the landscape changes, leadership has to adapt. We have to adjust. We have to restructure ourselves in certain ways because it's too few doing too much and sometimes too many doing too little. Adaptivity. I don't know if I've ever mentioned Radnor to you or not, but I was walking at Radnor the other day, which is my wonderful, our wonderful sanctuary in Middle Tennessee, And as I was walking uphill at one point, I passed by a mother, a young mother who was absolutely exhausted. She was red-faced. She had a baby on her back, and she had two preschoolers in a wagon, and she was pulling it uphill. And I couldn't let her go without commenting. I said, ma'am, that is a total body workout. And she said, yeah, for one of us. And I thought it's not going to be long whether she either adapts or expires because it's too much on too few. I remember Einstein's definition of insanity. (laughs) Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting different results. John Steinbeck in his classic East of Eden said, it is the nature of a man as he grows older to protest against change, especially change, for the better. But fortunately for us, who are believers, who are disciples of Christ, the conductor, the agent of adaptive change is the Holy Spirit. I've often said, and I'll say it again, if you don't like change, don't follow Jesus. He will mess you up. He will change your plans in a gospel that begins with the word, repent, turn. You better believe that change is necessary. There's a leadership problem in Acts 6, so watch what they do. The disciples pull the body together. This is a clinic in leadership. They pull the believers together. I'm not so sure this is a town hall where people can bellyache. I think it's a representative group of mature leaders who come together, guides and mentors, and they name and reframe the issue without blame and shame. Verse 2. It is not right that we should neglect the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, pause it there. You see the bigger issue? With the growth of the infant body, with these abnormal times, there's too few trying to solve every issue, trying to solve every problem, and as a result, they are neglecting their primary role which is the ministry of the word. It is preaching, it is teaching, it is study, it is formation, it is prayer. And I tell you when that happens, when we neglect our own spiritual formation, not only do apostles burn out, but the fellowship will lose its way and become confused as to what our primary task is in the world. So what do they do? They adapt, they revise, they revamp, they restructure. And one of the 12 makes this motion. Watch this, verse 3, brothers and sisters, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. You see the criterion, reputable, spiritual wise, seven whom we may appoint to this task while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the Word." And they did. In fact, the seven names are listed that they nominated and that they chose. They elected Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. And what you may not notice is this interesting tidbit. All seven of those names are Greek. Now, there's a moral to this story. If you have a beef, if you have an issue, if you have a struggle, don't, don't keep your feet clean, don't keep your hands clean, jump in the pool because we're not patrons here. We're disciples. We're not religious consumers. We're believers. We don't pay dues. This is not a country club. We give tithes. We don't have a trough. We have an altar. And we don't give bibs. We give aprons the moral to the story is if there is a struggle in the body then get out the apron and find your place so that the witness of the church might be strengthened now the disciples are not saying they're too good to wait on tables they're not saying that There is no qualitative difference in our calling, but there is a distinctive difference in our calling. And one of the core values of Brentwood United Methodist Church is we believe in the ministry of all believers. And that means that somewhere there's a ministry with your name on it and nobody can do it but you. I close with this example. Jim Patterson is a friend who is at the Methodist Publishing House, and Mr. Patterson wrote an article recently about two men, both of whom lost their wives of 50-plus years last year in 2020 during the COVID year. Two men. These two men, with the help of a retired bishop and their church and some advice from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, began adapting in their grief And by the way, Kubler-Ross's quote is worth citing at this point. The reality is in grief, you will probably grieve forever. You will not get over the loss of a loved one, but you will learn to live with it. You will heal, and you will adapt yourself around the loss that you have suffered. You will be whole again, but you will never be the same, nor should you be the same, nor would you want to be the same. These two men are adapting. And by the way, these two men, I have a picture of them, are members of this church. The one in the blue shirt is Frank Luxinger. The person in the middle is Dave Allen. And they're spending time with Janet Gray, who has also lost her spouse. And you know what they're doing with their grief? They're using it. They're not denying it. They've consecrated it. And it is their mission, Frank and Dave, during this time to visit one by one every person in their sphere of influence and in this church who has lost a spouse. They're adapting. And their pain has become their platform. And they're using it in ministry in the memory of sally and marlise to the glory of god joseph campbell said we must let go of the life we have planned so as to accept the one that is waiting for us i may be wrong But I think Nike got it wrong. I think there is a finish line in the human race. I think there is coming a day when we will meet God face to face. But until that point, as long as you're breathing, as long as you have a pulse, There is a race to run. There is a job to do. There is a task to complete. There is a ministry with your name on it. There is a witness to share. So don't settle. You can't settle when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to adapt because the end result is always the same. The Word of God continues to spread, and disciples increase in number, spirit, and in diversity, and in witness. And get this, even priests, even priests are strengthened to believe and to serve God. May it be so for each of us, for all of us, for Christ's sake, amen.